Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Land Sharks After Dark back, folks, after uh, holiday, Christmas, New Year's, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah break. I guess not Hanukkah because that was a little earlier this year, but uh, we're back with you on the internet airwaves. I'm your host, Justin Sanders, of course, uh, talking with my co-host, John Stefanczyk, uh, about you know some, some exciting topics for Ole Miss fans. Went to the Sugar Bowl, pretty big deal. Uh, and and won in very convincing fashion, beating Oklahoma State forty-eight to twenty in that game on January first. Uh, John was there, so we'll get his thoughts on that in just a second. Also today on the show, we'll be talking about uh, the end of the twenty sixteen recruiting cycle, which is coming up here a little bit less than a month now till National Signing Day. Um, Old Miss's big visit weekend on the twenty third, I believe, in Oxford. Uh, you've heard us talk about that before. Once again, it looks like it's going to be. Uh, an important part of Old Miss's recruiting process down the stretch here. Got a lot of big names coming in, a lot of already committed guys coming in to kind of, uh, you know, show the the visitors what they can be a part of next year. So it should be exciting. Also, of course, we're going to talk about something we've been super excited about here on the show for the last couple of years, and that is the opening of the brand new pavilion at Old Miss. Um, opens well when you listen to this, it'll be. The day of the opening, uh, Thursday against Alabama, 8 p.m. tip-off in that one. I think it's on ESPNU, John. I'll be there uh, covering this event for the show, of course. How I'm, much did I'm you pay excited. for a ticket to get in? Well, um, Ryan McDermott, friend of the show, an actual real-life friend, uh, I think got our tickets from the Alumni Association. I think he only paid like 30 bucks for them. But it's, I heard, it's I sold out now. Yeah. I heard 68 is the lowest on StubHub to get in right wow, now. Wow, really? Cause for, like, uh, it is literally, I was... I'm going to look that up right now. Yeah, I, I'm looking it up right now while you're talking. For a long time, uh, you could get tickets on StubHub for about 30 bucks. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised now if it's gone up since it is tomorrow, recording this on Wednesday. Yeah, it says from 46, John. So ba- so essentially above I mean, for a, Yeah, for, it, for an Ole Miss basketball game, though, that's... On a uh, Thursday night at 8 o'clock. That yeah, is, that's legit. That's and it, it's a hard sellout. The school sold out all their tickets. That's another good sign. I'm just really excited to get in the facility, but... We'll talk more about that in the in the last segment of the show when we move on to Ole Miss basketball. Um, let's let's start with that big Sugar Bowl win, John. Obviously, huge for Ole Miss to make it to the Sugar Bowl, even though uh, I, I guess the Sugar Bowl prestige level has changed a little bit with the introduction of the playoff. But still, Ole Miss represented the SEC as the second best team uh, behind Alabama, and really, I thought looked the part. So you were there, John. Why don't you tell us? Um, or some of your takeaways, not just from you know what happened on the field, but also just your experience uh, in New Orleans. Well, it was a really good about did New Year's Eve in New Orleans. Wake up, or actually got got down to the thirtieth. Went out was up till about four a.m. on Bourbon Street, or well, I ran it about finished off on Bourbon Street first night and woke up about noon the thirty first. You know, a little hungover as you can imagine. And, 
couple of us stumble down to uh, Raising Cane's to get some hangover food. Good, good choice. So we're sitting Cane's. there, and I'm just kind of I'm looking at him on St. Charles Avenue. I'm looking out at the street, eating my chicken fingers hungover, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is like we've been waiting. Ole Miss fans have been waiting 40-something years to have the opportunity to go get smashed in New Orleans, eat some canes, and then uh, go attend the Sugar Bowl sure. the next day. And it was – I mean, the game was about a 9.99 on a scale of 1 to 10 as far as how perfect it could go. The only the only reason it's not a 10 is because Laquan there when the Chad threw – well, there's pros – well, Chad throwing the pick on, like, the first drive – I thought was a positive because we needed Chad to screw up just a little bit so he wouldn't think actually about going pro. He'll come back and <laughs> That's fair. Totally wrong with that. Laquan broke the route off to ensure the ball got picked off. And then Laquan, instead of going and running down, the defender says, ah, I'm just going to look at the ref and complain. So Stringfellow goes and runs over to tackle him. And the only, little, the only negative from the game was the fact that Stringfellow rolled his ankle and was out the rest of the game while tackling the dude because – Laquan's like, I'm going pro. I'm not going to go over there and tackle the guy. So it was a mm. very inter- interesting business decision to witness from the business. 600 level of the Superdome. But other than that, the game pretty much went as you would imagine. I mean, watch the first Laquan TD kind of happened opposite right in front of us, essentially. About as close as you were going to get. From and you the, say first um, because he ended up with three on the day. He pretty, was he was special. Pretty prolific. I mean – Chad, after he settled down, was just was special. And then the Tunsil, the Tunsil touchdown. I mean, we're sitting. I mean, Chad ran it down there to the five, and they they threw. They did the Dan Marino fake spike deal, threw the ball in the end zone, got the flag, got down to the two. And as Chad was rolling, I was pretty much on the ten yard line, basically right at where that was. Chad basically ran when he was rolling rolling sideways on the out. He's running basically where I was sitting. And I'm sitting there watching him about just to get mauled. And then he turns around like as he's getting tackled and flips it up. And then I'm sitting there going, who's he throwing it to? And imme- I mean, I recognized immediately because Tunsil has those big knee braces, which yeah. is very distinct. And I was sitting there going, I mean, pretty much, anybody that's ever watched the game with me knows a pretty – Pretty stoic and level-headed. Paul, Paul Catool and I watch games very similarly. I've noticed. Like, and I was I was watching the game with Paul Catool. We're so talking I know for about ninety-five percent of it, but when we lose it, we just lose it. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how many games you've Tunsil, watched with Paul Catool because he he kind of takes everything a little bit too hard. Yeah, well, we can't. We, but yeah, me and Paul both freaked out when he threw that because I was like, "Who is it? Who caught it? Who caught it?" Because I saw the eight. I could see the eight, and I was like, "Tell me that seventy-eight. Tell me that seventy-eight. It was just awesome. And, but right, I, I think before he caught the ball, like I was on my feet just going, it's Tunsil. That was Tunsil. Yeah, it's amazing. Tunsil caught that. Like as he's walking in and I'm sitting, I was 99% sure. And then I like look at it and see it's a 78. And then and then what, what I went to 100% sure when like the whole sideline just went over there and started mauling him. Yeah, and that was, was awesome. And got the, got the legal got celebration. The flag, worth it. Just, like, it was like Worth I know it. that was Tunsil. It was like, wait a minute, Tunsil actually caught a touchdown. I was like, oh wait, the whole sideline's about to go jump on him. Like this is that definitely happened. And it, I mean, you could just look at the Oklahoma State bench below us, and that game. I mean, that game was over. It was beautiful. Yeah, that was the Sugar Dome was, was electric. I've always kind of thought Ole Miss fans were guilty of not yelling loud enough in the games. I've realized it's just the really it's a lot of it's just the audio, uh, the, stadium, the acoustics yeah. of the. Very good because the Superdome was loud. That was a really fun. 
environment to be in. The seven thirty kick was really good too. Everybody was nice and nice and boozed up. Had a good had a pregame at Lucy's with the uh, the Lynch brothers. Ran into ran into Bob, Bob Lynch and I were talking about how, what it's like going from Ole Miss to to Cambridge because Bob, as you know, is is Bob Lynch. For those of you who don't know, he's the ghost of Jack Cutler on Red Cup Rebellion, kind of the. Is that a well, thing you can talk about, tour. John? I don't know if that's a thing that you're supposed to talk we, about. Well, they're friendly competitors. Is that no? I, mean, I just mean I don't know if his his name is on it's that. If you hadn't figured it out by now, like well, you I, that. It's, it's good no one listens to this because anyone that does listen to this would already know that, so it's okay. Know that so. Essentially, so Bob, we were talking about it was eight tenths of a mile from Lucy's to the Superdome, and everybody's like, "Let's just get an Uber." And Bob and I are like, "It's eight tenths of a mile. Let's walk. Yeah, That's what walk we that. do." Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, That's not far at all. Then I get just then then to start getting just ripped. Like you've changed, John. Look what Massachusetts has done to you. So I got a good dose of that. But anyway, all all of That's that funny. aside. Um, but it was a good it's, time. Uh, Sounds like a good time. It was a it was a magical evening. I ended up at Pato's after the game. I got a ta- table with a group of people at the piano bar that was really just a. It was about as good. A, I mean, it was probably the best game day, from like a start to finish in terms of just enjoyment and everything going right since the Bo Wallace Alabama game two years ago. Wow, that's great. That's, that's uh, and I wasn't there for that game. I was just watching. On you, just TV. A, you just had a good day that day. Yeah, it's like Katy Perry was perfect on TV, and then they come back and win the game. I mean, that was pretty great. That was a pretty great day. No, so I'll tell you what this game reminded me of, John. I'm not the first person to say this, I know, but uh, it, it was very similar to last year's Egg Bowl in Oxford, where basically everything that Freeze tried kind of worked. You know, the, the the Laramie throwback, the Laquan pass worked. Um, it was just one of those games where it seems like he could he could do no wrong on play calling, and I think you know part of that was you know playing against that Oklahoma State Big Twelve defense, which is not you know um, formidable, I would say, uh, in any sense of the word. But you know, it also was um, the fact that I think this team got better over the course of the season, which is definitely something you couldn't say about the team last year. Um, although a lot of that had to do with the catastrophic injuries to Laquan Treadwell and Vince Sanders and, you know, just Bo Wallace's general injured state. Um, but so I, I'm thinking back now, Freeze's first team, they they got better as the season went on, I think you could say. Um, the, the, the 2013 team, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, obviously, that Egg Bowl loss was disappointing. Um, I guess what I'm trying to decide, John, is – is there a trend in Freeze's teams, or is it too early to tell as far as durability throughout the season? I think the trends, a lot of media narr- media types trying to come up with a narrative to write about, honestly. Health is health is such a crapshoot in football these days with concussion protocol and just how strong and fast players are. There's naturally going to be more injuries. I I mean, this team, this team got off the towel from – or got off the floor from a devastating Arkansas loss and just mauled three and mauled three people to end the season. So yeah, and really, I guess my to, I guess as, as a season kind of looking back at this season, the Memphis game. I mean, there were several people I'm included that were sitting there going, "Is this going to be the date we look at as the beginning of the end of the Freeze era?" It turns out Memphis, that that was yeah. a turning point, but that's really when Freeze took a step back and said, "Okay." I'm giving up 90% of play calling duties. 
to Luke and Warner. And I'm going to, I mean, the team really rallied behind it. The Arkansas loss was one of those just crazy deals. And the other thing about that, too, is that's a 10th straight game they played. The, the bye week coming so late, I think, was an adverse, was a hindrance to them. I love where the bye week's at for, 20, for the 2016 schedule, but we'll talk about that another day. But I think it really, this now, especially, I mean, being in the building and seeing everybody's reaction to the to the Sugar Bowl, I mean, Ole Miss feels like a program. It's like, yeah, they lose Laramie and Laquan, but and Robert. Although you, at one at one point, I looked over people people I was sitting with, and I looked at them. I said, you know, guys, the, so far without Robert Kimdichie on the field playing in games, this defense we've outscored opponents sixty four to nine. That was at the third quarter at the point in time. I think the final number was like seventy six to. Should have been 76 to 23, yeah. 23, because, I mean, now that's against one and three-quarter Big 12 teams because I'm only giving A&M a quarter credit for being calling them a quarter SEC team. But regardless, I, I mean. And also, like, n- no healthy quarterbacks. Yeah, that's in, true. In those games. I mean, I, I, I'm I more prepared to agree with your line of thinking on the Kimdichis now than I was when we first had that debate. Yeah. Um, I, I think – Maybe there is more evidence now that they were uh, a locker room, not like a cancer necessarily, but just definitely a distraction. They're, they I were think, a distraction, and I think that there were members of the team that resented. Uh, but at the same time, like you, you couldn't, no one on that team uh, in their right mind could tell you that Robert didn't deserve to be, for instance, the starter. You know, like maybe maybe yeah. there was resentment over some of the way they were treated, but it's it's not like you know they didn't belong. But yeah, it, it might be easier for the team to focus without. I think them. the best way to summarize Robert is that football is not his number one priority. Which let's let's be. I'm gonna. I'll def, here. I'll defend him for you for a minute. He never. I mean, he never. He never has. He didn't have to choose football to be his first priority. He just happens to be an absolute physical freak. Everybody's like, you know, you have to play football. You have to go out there, and they just assume that the hundred percent right. that's his number one love and priority. And really, I mean, hell, I think he likes playing the saxophone better at Morgan at a, in Clarksdale than he does playing football, for example. Well, and I just think I think it's probably it's all the of the associations with football. You know, he can't he doesn't just play football, you know? There's there's so much more around football for Robert and for people, you know, of Robert's uh, society athletic prowess. Yeah, exactly. Society expects a talent like him to be JJ Watt and doing six commercials telling you how uh-huh. hard he works and exactly. all of it. you don't have to be that by any stretch. So it's. I don't think Robert's a bad dude at all. And I, I mean, overall, his 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 impact on Ole Miss was extremely positive. But at the end, I think he's like, you know, I'm. There's part of him right now. It's like, you know, I'm kind of tired of all this tension and scrutiny. I'm just going to hang out sure. and do my thing. And some NFL team's still going to take him in the first round. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And when there's a paycheck on the line, I mean, I mean, he may have a little Albert Hainsworth into. I don't know if, if you're. I mean, Albert Hainsworth's contract year before he signed the hundred million dollar deal with the Redskins, he went out there and was just. I mean, he was the best defensive player in the league. And Robert could be – Robert's a guy that in a contract year just go out there and annihilate people. But then once he signs a deal, I don't know. But that's a that's neither here nor there. I mean, he – I mean, he, it, it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to be out there and get hit, you know, throw throw a pass or something during the Sugar Bowl. Because sure. Larry and Laquan had their moments. Sure. It was really cool to see. Yeah, that was. I, I, I thought – 
getting Laquan the three touchdowns, letting him through the pass, and then throwing that pass to Laramie. Just really, really cool from Freeze. Uh, definitely something that players love to see. Young recruits love to see that. Um, I, I just thought it was a really fun game. Um, a little, a little sad that I missed it, but I, I happily don't think that that's going to be the last time that Ole Miss has such a large stage to play on uh, in the postseason the next couple of years. We'll see. Um, you know, as a transition here, moving on to what we can expect next year. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, Laquan declares for the draft. Laramie declares for the draft. Robert declared for the draft a few weeks ago. I guess two weeks ago. Um, so yeah, big, big losses there, but obviously at wide receiver, Ole Miss feels good about the depth they have. Uh, DeMaurier Stringfellow moves into that number one role next year with a a whole lot of depth behind them to kind of figure out, you know, who's going to play across them on the outside, who's going to play in the slot, stuff like that. Evan Ingram, uh, announced he's going to return, uh, as your starting tight end. Um, Tony Connor looks to be coming back on the defensive side of the ball. And then, you know, you have... Greg Little committed to step in at that left tackle spot. So where where do you see as the biggest question marks, uh, assuming all the commitments Ole Miss has currently stay committed, Greg Little especially being one of those. Obviously, right tackle is a, is a gaping hole at this point. you got to get that figured out. Um, what else do you think Ole Miss fans still need to be, you know, kind of where do we go next year at this position? Well, you nailed it there, right? If you can tell me we're going to get a solid right tackle, I would think I would feel really good about chances to make a run. Other spots are, I mean, you hope, hope the, the D line, assuming Fadal comes back healthy, if and you Isaac, could get, Isaac Gross, comes you could back get Gross healthy. back. And then also, if you can get Simmons, Jeffrey Simmons is not committed, but he's an old Miss lean at this point. Apparently, he's. Tearing yeah, it up down that, at the Army Bowl. That would be huge. Really, Benito, Benito Jones has been Benito really good. Jones, Benito Jones started off slow at the uh, Under Armour game last week, but, but he, he really up, came on yeah. was probably the second best lineman on that the fi- lineman on that field. And I mean, Rashawn, Rashawn, Gary. Rashawn Gary is still there's still a lot of buzz around Rashawn Gary. I think to it sounds like you could effectively flip a coin for Gary, and then the other big position I think is linebacker. If they could get Mike Juarez somehow, that. I would honestly prefer to have Juarez over Gary. Just because oh, me too. Just because the depth on the defense. Because I think sounds like Simmons and Benito are going to come in and just be maulers inside. Yeah, and Gary's I mean, the best mauler at this point. But like, I mean, we have enough D line. I mean, Juarez would come in. So obviously, obviously, linebacker is going to be tough. Juarez between Ole Miss and UCLA. It's going to be tough to a get him out of LA. B they're basically telling him come in and be Miles Jack again. Who my, yep. I saw Miles Jack projected to go fourth overall in the Cowboys in a mock draft earlier today. Yeah, I, I think Juarez is going to UCLA sadly because he he would make a huge impact at Ole Miss, but it's not like he would have. I mean, they're they're offering him something you almost can't turn down. He gets to stay home, like you said, step in. Uh, probably, I mean, the highest profile linebacker in the last ten years that I can recall, Miles Jack, and, and Anthony Bars in the NFL, and there's a. Right, I just mean like blanking. It's, who's the other? You can you can offer him day one playing time at Ole Miss, but UCLA is offering him that in his own backyard. You know, it's it's really and not, Anthony not Barr surprising. is playing really well for the Minnesota Vikings. So Moore has already proven he can put a guy in the league, and he's gonna just go pull up a mock draft and see where Miles Jack is. I would expect him to ultimately sign with UCLA. A key date though is I somebody dug it up is that I think January fourteenth the last day he can enroll in the spring semester at UCLA, where it's February 4th or 5th at Ole Miss. So he could, 
if Juarez wanted to do enroll this semester, he could actually wait till signing day, essentially, for Ole Miss. So if he goes past the 14th and basically goes another 10 days without committing, I think that uh, that's an indication. Obviously, because he hasn't committed, he said, like, that's an indication that he he's inter- heavily interested in Ole Miss. But also, if he, but also from the enrollment standpoint, that means Ole Miss is a serious contender. If they can find a way to get his parents to campus, it sounds like they really have a shot to land the kid. I almost think they would if he can, if they can find a way to get. Him I just there. don't. I mean, it's get him to campus I, but once, but if UCLA is offering him just as good of a spot and then come to every game, you know, it's just I don't know. I just don't see it happening. I, which is very upsetting because I would love to land not just a linebacker, but a the top linebacker in the country. Another um, thing on a lot of too, services. I mean, another pro, and maybe you can. I mean, the SEC's had a really good bowl season outside of yeah Fl- Florida, which is a really an overrated team without Will Greer, and they don't care. And then A and M's, they're three quarters Big Twelve, I think. But um, I, I mean, one of my friends texted me earlier and said he watched an interview at the Army All American game with Mike Juarez, and um, apparently the interviewer asked if he was worried about Jim Mora possibly leaving UCLA. And Juarez's answer was something to the effect of, uh, yeah, no matter what happens, we'll be okay, talking about UCLA. So that just kind of, to me, yeah. I think it's, it's obvious at this point where he's leaning. But I think he has Ole Miss as that number two, just in case, you know, something changes if and he UCLA, decides he wants to Moore, leave. If UCLA screws it up, he's going Ole Miss. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. he's going to UCLA. And I think I, so, if Fire him, I wouldn't blame him. I mean, they actually sure. UCLA has a. I mean, they're one of the three best schools in the country from a linebacker output the past three or four years. More the whole more tenure there, they've been terrific in that position, for sure. both in college and for professional development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, trying to think, what other recruiting needs have we not touched on here? Obviously, Drake Davis went to LSU. True, like yeah. that didn't really. Want them that bad, honestly. I, I mean, I just that vibe or not. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I picked up on that. Obviously, Drake Davis is um, an impressive talent, but very raw. Um, I would say he's going to need a redshirt year to kind of get ready to play in a system every day. Obviously, he he quit football the last two years, played soccer, and then just came back his senior year to play at IMG. Um, but he couldn't even crack the starting rotation at IMG. I mean, he was mostly a kick returner. So obviously he's gonna have some um, some transition time here, but I mean I I think that makes sense too because if you're a guy like Drake Davis, you could go to Ole Miss and hope that by your sophomore or junior year you're catching you know thirty forty balls, or you could go somewhere like LSU, take a red shirt, get ready to play in their system, um, and then probably be the receiver in your class. You know that's not something that's not a luxury you're gonna have as a wide receiver at Ole Miss. So I I kind of understand that. Also, um, you know, we always say if you're if you're a wide receiver, why would you want to play an LSU system? But I actually think it makes sense because the the, the pro style that they run, um, you know, it's really good if you want to be a wide receiver that gets to the draft or that gets to the NFL, I should say. Um, LSU wide receivers, as we've seen the last two seasons, out of that Met, that Mettenberger class with um, Odell Beckham the third and Jarvis Landry, all those guys, they're pretty ready to play right away and have an impact coming out of that pro style. I mean, system. like Ruben Randall, early right. so I understand. Um, I, I understand why wide receivers go there. And I also understand why quarterbacks don't, you know? So it, it makes a lot of sense for Drake Davis being a guy from Louisiana, um, 
who is a, a top prospect but still you know needs work probably doesn't want to come in uh and play in a super competitive wide receiver core like we have at Ole Miss so I, I get that no I think it makes sense and the other th- I mean the one thing he it's interesting LSU extended Cam 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 Cameron a new contract which I like how less after they say okay we're gonna you know keep you comes out comes out and says oh we're gonna make change and whatnot, and then he just continues on with Cam Cameron. And he, like I watched their bowl game, and they didn't do anything new offensively. They just had better players than Texas Tech. So, right, I, 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 I just don't see why or how LSU is not in the same situation they were in a month ago, eleven months from now. Sure. I mean, nothing's. Finished. I, it's just, I, I, I don't know what LSU is going to do next year. They should be really good. I mean. They, as is, long Brandon, as, is Brandon Harris going to develop? I mean, I guess. I mean, as long as as long as Fournette is focused, and I think he was like he won the Heisman this year. I think he will be. Um, I, I mean, he's he's a first round draft pick, no matter what. Though that's kind of the the. He's just going to be out there trying not to get hurt, though. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you, you really don't know because yeah. he's already a first round pick. How motivated is he going to be? I don't know. They're going to have good receivers. Um, they're probably going to be pretty good on defense, but it's the same system that we've seen kind of, I, I wouldn't say fall apart, but I mean, get exploited. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. They, they, they have all the pieces next year to be a contender and I wouldn't be surprised if they are, but also wouldn't be surprised if it's a lot like this season, like you said, where, you know, they beat a lot of teams they should beat and then they get resoundingly defeated by, uh, you know, the Alabama's old misses. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, we'll have plenty of time in the offseason to think about this, but I'm not sure who else is going to be a contender next year in the SEC, so maybe the path will be open for them. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but they uh, – with Les Miles, I think you I think you have to be skeptical of him figuring out the quarterback situation until they, he actually proves that he can he can handle it. I mean, he's had, he's had, he's had one good year of quarterback play. With Mettenberger, and they still lost three games, right. which is pretty—it's pretty hard to fathom in a lot of ways, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's I think see, that's I guess, it for recruiting. Yeah, we, covered, we talked about Gary. We talked about Mike Juarez. Really, two of the big targets left on the board. Obviously, as you mentioned, Simmons. Um, yeah, I mean that's pretty much that's pretty much all of recruiting now. The non-contact period um, is ongoing. I think it ends pretty soon, um, and recruiting should really heat up here the next three weeks. Obviously, the other we'll guys, be talking about Deontay Anderson, Shy Carter, two four stars to look look for. Believe believe Deontay Anderson's a heavy Ole Miss lean, and yeah. uh-huh. uh, Shy Carter's kind of up in the air. They could use court. I think corner next year, you're looking at Webster, Bridges, and then Jalen Julius and Ordway have redshirted, and maybe you could throw in a Shy Carter potentially. That could be. I think they'll have some depth at corner next year. Yeah, that's rotate. Uh... Probably forgetting. Kalo Moore will be a senior, but can he can he come in and provide some depth? That'll be interesting to see. Isn't, isn't um isn't Carlos Davis transferring? Did I mishear that? Uh, Collins Moore is. I knew I that. I knew Collins oh, Moore Carlos was transferring too. Maybe not. Maybe that was wrong about that. I thought I heard that too. Honestly, that wouldn't sh- – he, he – the whole buzz about him was he's going to be a big difference in the punt return game, but then turned out he, he can't hold on. He was, so. he was not. 
Yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting to see next year, too. I, I'm really interested, and we'll talk about this some of the offseason, too, John, but I'm interested of all the red shirts this year, who actually makes an impact next year. Obviously, I'm thinking about Jalen Julius, who was, you know, rumored to be a return specialist when Ole Miss signed him. Um, it'll be interesting to see next season who actually gets They have got to get at least a threat of being explosive in the punt return game. That's an element of freeze team. That the yeah, freeze special is teams is something that still is a question mark, I'd say. Uh, the cover the kicks fun. Their kickoff returns. I mean, Jalen was decent at kickoff returns, but their whole – but their, their punt, re- punt return has been a trouble spot for Freeze's entire tenure. That yeah, at some point that has to improve. Except for when Jeff Scott was returning those those punts, that was for like those two games when he was good. Um, yeah, it is true. Jeff Scott did he had that punt return against Texas? Against Texas, yeah, that was pretty awesome. But I think it also should have been called back if I remember for like a a block in the back or something. But it wasn't so. Um. Okay, so yeah, that's that's basically where we stand with recruiting. Obviously, we have more time to talk about that before National Sign Day. We'll get back to it. Where are you sitting in the pavilion tomorrow night? Yeah, I was about to say let's um let's talk about basketball. I don't know. I asked Ryan where our tickets were, and he said like nothing special or anything. So I'll let you know. I'll um I'll send you a pic, or maybe I'll maybe I'll post a picture on the Landsharks After Dark Twitter account tomorrow night once we get to our seats, but. I'm pumped. Um, not just a basketball arena. Also has like a, a second student union kind of food court going on with a Raisin Cane's and a Steak and Shake, which I'm pumped. I, I love Raisin Cane's. And actually, I've never had Steak and Shake, but I've only ever heard Dude, great what? It's true. Um, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll try tomorrow night. I, I bet the lines are going to be crazy, though, honestly. Um, yeah, you're going to have to get there early if you want to do that. For sure. I, I'm just – I'm pumped, man. The, the tab pad has been um, – I don't hate the tap pad. I've I've enjoyed games there, but really, you know, it's more just it's, about... it's the lovable wart, but exactly, the wart's yeah. gone. Really, it's always been something that I've just been embarrassed for other people to see. You know, it's like when you take someone to your childhood home, and like you know, you know what it looks like, but you you you're used to it. You're fine with it. You know, it's not really an in, an in, an indictment on your program, or I guess in this analogy, yeah. on your family's life, but. You know, you don't want your friends to see it. You're kind of embarrassed. Um, and that's definitely I mean, how the tap out was for recruits. AK looked like a kid. I don't know if you watched the presser. He had a presser yesterday. I mean, he looked like a kid at Christmas getting to play in that building. It was like – that's – Yeah, he's he's definitely the happiest guy in Oxford uh, tonight and tomorrow. Um, he's – I mean, he's been asking for new arena – uh, his entire tenure, I think. I mean, well, I mean, I think he stopped asking Boone at some points because it's like, why? Well, he knew it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. That's a good point. But I, I think that's probably, he mentioned it in his first meeting with Ross Bjork when Bjork got hired. Um, and really, since Bjork came to campus, he's been working on this. And uh, it's, it's a hell of an achievement for the athletics program, for Bjork, um, and for all the donors that. It is. I, I get the sense that Bjork's going to. I don't think Bjork and Freeze are going to go anywhere. I think Bjork settled in where he's like, you know what, I'm going to be the guy. Well, they've both had a couple opportunities, and you know, the we've heard about Freeze. I'm trying to remember one of the national guys, Schefter or someone, tweeted about how there are only a handful of jobs he would leave Ole Miss for. I forget the exact number, but I assume Bjork, Bjork, excuse me, Bjork, 
is uh is similar in that he would leave for some jobs like you know a Michigan or a Texas something like that. But I, I think I, even Texas, it's like, do you really want to deal with all that crap? I mean, it, but it's think about sh- think about the step up just on your resume and in pay scale that would come with that if you were Ross Bjork. I mean, that's a much better job. It's you're a much a team, more profitable job. If you're on job. a team that's at the top of it, if you work for a school that's at the top of the SEC West, is there really much higher you can go in college athletics? I mean, I would think pro pro. I would expect pro sports to be the calling card. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I agree I, with yeah, that. Okay, and so I, I think I think a job like Texas would be a stepping stone. I mean, I think it's kind of silly for you to say that uh, that they're comparable, the Texas AD job and um, and being the, the best in the West or whatever. The, the Texas athletic director makes, or he did, the lost Dodds in 2013, $1.1 million. Ross Bjork makes $400,000. Yeah, I basically, I mean, Ole Miss probably bump that up somewhere. I think so. Probably could, they need to. Probably. Maybe maybe the Texas job looks better to pro Texas. I don't know. It's interesting to see, but I, regardless, Ross is done. And this is it four years now going on. I think four yeah. year anniversaries in April with him. Wasn't he hired after Freeze? Yeah, he's after Freeze. He was uh, so four years. Yeah, yeah, spring of twenty March of twenty twelve, give or take. So he's done. He's done a lot. So let's let's just go through some of the things he's achieved. So. They went back to Omaha in baseball. They're bowling well, in the football first, stadium. First thing was managing Marshall Henderson's off the field. Activity. True, and getting and getting Andy Kennedy's first NCAA getting berth. The tournament was there. Won, won the SEC tournament. Uh, built a new basketball arena. Well, I'll even go back to yeah, sorry, keep backtracking. Winning the Egg Bowl freezes first year, honestly. I'm yeah, but that's more freeze. Thing, that's more freeze than New York. Point is, Ross shows up. They actually went. They won an Egg Bowl. Well, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to pin down things we can actually give him credit yeah. for. And I think, I think yes, managing Marshall Henderson. That's that's a good one. Um, obviously building the arena. I think raising uh, the salary for most of the major coaches. Um, let's see. I mean, building lots of facilities, management of the vault Hemingway expansion. I mean, initially, that, initial the, the rendering, man, the Manning the, Center, the pavilion, yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, his man. I mean, because because the hundred fifty million dollar campaign was in place when he came in, but what, what to do with that money? I mean, obviously, they're going to build the arena. Sorry, what'd you say, John? John, did we lose you? Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. All right, sorry, folks. Lost John for a second there. Yeah, so you were saying um, the so, money. Saying when Bjork came, when Bjork came in, the uh, four together campaign was in place. But and obviously they're going to build an arena. But what were they going to? How were they going to prioritize all the football money essentially? And they instead of the initial rendering was let's go build another, let's mimic the south end zone and build another bunch of suites in the north end zone. And Bjork comes in and says, okay. For on the field performance, we need to do things to the IPF, strength and conditioning, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Build a new, uh, what's the eight, eight t, caf, cafe eighteen ten or whatever? Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever uh, that's called, the Manning Center, um, like cafeteria basically. Eighteen ten, yeah, eighteen ten because Archie and Eli, eighteen ten. Uh, the grill at eighteen ten. Yeah, whatever, that's it. That's whatever, it. That's it. I've, eat, I've eaten there before. It's good. And then he looked at the pavilion. I don't think the pavilion would have like the second version of the student union aspect. To no, that, was, that was smart. And also the Ole Miss Hall of Fame that's in there. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. 
The other thing is, he instead of building another set of just massive suites on the north end zone, which Bjork realized, and this is very smart because where where things are going these days is you need premium seating options to is the best way, most efficient way to increase revenue uh-huh. as opposed to volume because you're not going to get eighty thousand people in the vault every weekend. There's really no reason for it to be more than sixty-five thousand people, but he, he increased premium seating and he did it using the south end zone with those field level suites. And then I think, so he's added premium seating with existing structure and then he keeps the existing jumbotron in the North end zone as well while bowling it in. So that's a $6 million project. They didn't have to knock down. They're adding two video boards on the side. Really. I mean, he's done a good job being efficient with money at the, with the vault Hemingway component. I, I think at some point you have to, you have to do a big overhaul on the concourses of vault Hemingway in the guts of the stadium, it, sure. I, I think that's the that's probably one of the next. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I just think some of the create the you would creativity. Think Swayze's good. You would think Swayze's good to go. You, uh, the Pavilion's going to be good know, to yeah. go. Gillum Center's going to get some renovations. Oh, he built well. the parking garage. We forgot about that. That's something the Ole Miss people talked yeah. about for years and never got done. Um, I was going to say just some of the just what really is great about Bjork is the creative. Um, you know, approach he takes to some of these problems. Like yeah. I think, I think moving the student section uh, to the north end zone after you bowl it in is brilliant because students don't have to walk as far from the Grove. It's right next to Frat Row. It's gonna make all the other lines uh, move more quickly. I think that's really smart. I think turning the tad pad eventually into a, another green space for student tailgating is a really smart idea. This is kind of adding to what you said about the student union aspect of the uh, pavilion food court. I just think he, he, he kind of isn't afraid to try new things. Um, obviously uh, the right field at Swayze is kind of um, something that other places don't really have. And I've been impressed with his ability to legitimize it while still not taking away, you know, what makes it so unique. His management be. of game day environment is extremely it's great. Impressive. Yeah. Look it's at, well, really look good. at this. When we were, when we were there first year under Bjork, I mean, at last, at the end with Boone, they were essentially like going through TSA to get yeah. the students. And section. it took forever. It took Bjork, hours to get in. Bjork comes in and is like, look, we need people in the building. And you guys, I mean, as long as you don't have a handle hanging out of your pocket you're gonna have no problem getting well, i think it. basically bjork yeah just realized that old miss students wanted to drink and if you want to keep them in the stadium for longer you let them drink in the stadium instead of making them go back to the you're grove competing, you're competing against lsu and go down there and it's like <laughs> right. so there's your exactly no so I, I mean I, and on top of all of that obviously the number one thing that uh that bjork's created it is just the attitude throughout the athletics department that Ole Miss can be better. You know, that the, the thing you always heard about Pete Boone was, you know, um, contentment with Ole Miss's place as what, you know, 12 to 14th in the SEC. Although he that didn't time would care where 12. they finished. He, well, the only reason he cared where they finished because he wanted to keep his job and keep his seat at the table. Exactly. And, and Bjork is, it's a whole different ball game with the, the people running athletics department now. You know, they, where Ole Miss has been in the past is not enough. They they want more, and so that's really been the biggest change under Bjork. Well, yeah, I think he, there's all this untapped potential that's now all of a sudden. You're in a league. You're in the best league. You have you're part of the SEC network's been launched to where it it gives. I mean, the worst SEC job is probably a top twenty five job. There's a minimum of top thirty. 
I, mean, I don't know where you would put Kentucky and Vanderbilt on that list, but let's if you throw them out, everybody else is at least a top thirty gig, mm-hmm. I would say, in college football. So they you have you have all the pieces in place to be one of the ten or fifteen best programs nationally. And I mean they're that's what they're acting like right now. They look at the recruiting class and where they've been on the field, so no doubt. Um, so yeah, let, let's talk briefly about um, the actual game on the court here. Uh, Ole Miss did lose the SEC opener to Kentucky. I think it was like eighty-three to sixty-one. Something I'll like ba- that. I'll back it up real quick. So I watched them. I did first game I watched all year was Memphis, and I was impressed with how they played. It was a tough. Yeah, game. Memphis is just real bad. Memphis is but Memphis is bad. I thought again watching Troy and Memphis. I go, you know, I think they had better front court play than I thought they would. Giello is actually a solid. The solid versatile player. Saiz is important to them. He's got yeah, to be. Yeah, there's just no depth. You know, and we saw what happened when he gets in foul trouble at, at Kentucky. Yeah, he was he was basically non-existent. But Kentucky's got you can't you can't really judge it by Kentucky because they get access, they have access to elite athletes that really sure. you know Kansas and maybe two or three other schools have access to so. That doesn't that doesn't really bother me. I'm I'm gonna I think you have to wait at least four conference games in to where you make any kind of real sense of is this like a nine and nine SEC team? I mean I thought coming off Troy and Memphis like you know, I could see maybe they go eleven and seven, twelve and six even really be knocking on the bubble and then Kentucky happens, everybody's kinda sour on it. But they're ten and three. Um See, Alabama's the type of team they need to – I can't remember if they play them once or twice. If they play them twice, at a minimum, they need to split it this year. Yeah, I think I think it'll be a good test of um, – They should be – if they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, they should win tomorrow night at home. Obviously. I, I, I think it's a good test of how Ole Miss is going to do this season because Alabama is one of those teams that's kind of in the middle of the league. You know, they're – they're going to be basically if Ole Miss wins confidently, you feel good about them finishing in the top four or five. Um, if they struggle, probably a middle of the league team. And if Alabama is better, I think Ole Miss is is probably going to be lucky to get to five hundred in the league. So we'll Ole see. Ole Miss is probably somewhere between four and ten in the league. If they lose tomorrow night, they're probably more of a seven to ten team. If they win, you know, they're probably a four to eight, depending on depending on how they win and whatnot. So. Then Georgia comes in Saturday. That's a, I mean, if they win both of these games, you're looking at this going, shoot, they could finish fourth or fifth in the league, and they're off and going, have a new arena and whatnot. But yeah, uh, the, the 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 cynical way of looking at almost basketball is like you know they're going to go up zero and two the first two games of the Pavilion just because that's what happens. But I'd be curious to see how they come out and play. I think they respond after getting kind of more or less just absolutely punked in Lexington. Yeah, I think so too. I hope so, and I think it'll be great. And hopefully, the energy from the pavilion will be up. I think it'll be a, a big crowd. It'll be good. The other good thing for SEC basketball is LSU beat Kentucky last night, which LSU's RPI was a total train wreck. A right, week so that, ago. that helps for sure. I haven't looked at it today, but you need definitely LSU, LSU had an RPI below one hundred and fifty, which means they were going to be a landmine in the league with Ben Simmons on their roster. Which, which is yeah, that would have been really scary. That, they, that's a good point. Like, they at least need to be around 100, so if you lose to them, it's not the end of the world or anything. And Kentucky's good schedule so strong that they can lose a game like that on the road. Who cares? So that was I thought that was a really good overall result for the league in terms of having RPI from an RPI. Yeah, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good point. I think you're probably right about that. Um, all right, guys, so it's a pretty short show today, guys. Sorry we got to wrap it up, but uh, we appreciate you listening. We'll talk again next week about um, recruitment, recruiting developments, um, the first game in the pavilion, 
Uh, pretty soon, start getting ready for baseball season, too. It's coming up on us here. But um, as always, thank you for listening. Subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow both John and I on Twitter as well if you like. Um, but that's going to do it. Thanks, guys. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.